Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mdiwa Kavaza, and for today we get into a discussion about uh, the, the state of the economy, the state um, of the individuals that make up the South African economy that is ordinary South Africans. And we're going to be having a discussion with the team over at uh, Discovery, that's specifically Discovery Life. And uh, they've literally just given us some statistics about, I'm going to call it a few days ago, uh, to say that they, uh, Discovery Life clients, received 11 billion rand in 2022 through claims and uh, share shared value uh, payouts. And we're going to try to understand uh, what do some of these claim statistics actually help us to understand about um, what ordinary South Africans are going through, uh, the health of the ordinary South African, and also at the same time, um, you know, some of the issues that are uh, driving um, claims in the South African economy. And to help us uh, to understand that, we are joined by uh, Gareth Friedlander, who is uh, the Deputy CEO uh, for Discovery Life. Gareth, greetings to you today. Adira, hi to you as well. And thank you for having me on the show. And hello to all of our, our listeners out there. Now, thank you so much for, you know, for being with us, uh, you know, for today and also uh, just taking your time to help us to understand um, what the what some of these uh, claims can can help us uh, to understand about the health of ordinary South Africans and the things that people are going through right now. Perhaps a good place for us to start is always um, the organization. Discovery is one of those that I'm sure, you know, needs no introduction, but I do find that uh, the size of uh, discovery means that uh, you have to sort of um, explain which part of discovery you know you are coming from and as the deputy CEO of discovery life discovery life itself um, what's what's that business unit about uh, what's the type of thing that you guys are uh, are working with Yes, Madhura. So um, the Discovery Life business uh, was started in 2000, uh, so some 23 years ago, um, obviously on the back of the Vitality program and that was launched a couple of years prior to that. Um, and really, it has become the biggest um, life insurance uh, writer um, of new business in the South African market today. Um, and I think we have built our business around Discovery's core purpose of making people healthier uh, using what we call our shared value insurance model, which really uses the incentives of to make people healthier and then monetizes that um, in value to clients. And we can unpack that in a bit more detail down the line. But that's in a nutshell uh, what the business does and, and kind of our, our, our history and background. Okay, cool. So right now we've got uh, that big headline number, uh, which is uh, the 11 billion rand um, that Discovery Life um, returned back to its customers or its uh, or its clients uh, in 2022. Could you break that down for us just to understand what that actually means? I do understand sometimes that when it comes to some of these claims, there's a difference between what's being claimed by individuals uh, versus what's being claimed by, let's say, your corporates, um, you know, on behalf of uh, their employees and, you know, that type of thing. So could you give us uh, that uh, that particular breakdown? Yes, that's right. So the 11 billion is kind of the total um, in terms of claims and benefits paid out to clients. 
that's comprised of about 9.1 billion in claim payouts, uh, which is further split between the individual risk policies, which is what you've just referred to, and our group business, which pays out um, to, as you say, to employees typically. Um, and then 1.9 billion of shared value payouts, which is made up of our payback benefit and our cash conversion benefit. Um, and these are both uh, not claims, but payouts um, made to clients just for being healthy and taking steps to, to manage their health and wellness and actually reduce the probability of claiming. So that's kind of the breakdown of the 11 of the 11 billion that you that you referred to. And from I guess from what you can tell, you know, maybe we could get into um, the what you call this, uh, the health related piece of uh, the what you call this of the of the payouts that uh, that have been made. What are some of the big health reasons why, um, you know, people are claiming? Um, is it is it new types of illnesses and sicknesses? Is it, um, you know, is it still COVID-19 related issues? Like, what are you guys seeing? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what we try and unpack every year when we, when we look at these statistics. Um, and I think the good news this year is that on the back of 2021, which was kind of the peak of, of, of COVID-19 and really dominated by COVID-19 related claims, this year has reverted uh, back to the normal kind of distribution that we see uh, in our claim statistics. COVID certainly not gone, and I'll, I'll talk to that in a minute. Um, but definitely the biggest contributors were cancer, um, heart and artery type diseases, uh, which are your usual suspects. Um, that's what we've tended to see being the biggest causes of death um, over the last decade or so. Um, just to put some numbers to that, 32% uh, of our female deaths were cancer. Um, that was the leading cause of death amongst females. Amongst males, uh, we see heart and artery being slightly higher than cancer at 28%. 20% um, of our males' deaths were were for for cancer. Um, so cancer and heart and artery, the, the kind of biggest uh, contributors to that death rate. Uh, but despite us being kind of through the, the worst of the pandemic, COVID was still the third um, highest cause of death uh, during 2022. So still um, contributing about 11% to of our of our deaths last year. Uh, the good news there is really about the trajectory. So we definitely saw during the year um, the trajectory of COVID deaths was coming down even further. So down um, significantly off the prior year. Just to put that into context, in 2021, we had four times as many COVID deaths as cancer, which was the second highest. So it was in a completely different um, space in 2021. Um, now we're seeing significantly fewer COVID deaths, uh, but certainly still there and still contributing about 11% of deaths. Um, and, you know, while we've moved kind of through COVID into this endemic, um, you know, type of state of COVID, I think the message is that COVID is still with us. It's still contributing to deaths. Uh, we've seen uh, a recent Economist article which talks to COVID contributing to about 5% of deaths globally, and that's aligned to kind of the current run rate that we're seeing so it is certainly still around, still something to be cognizant of, but I think something that we are now living with and, and kind of has become part of, of our lives as opposed to a dominant feature uh, that we saw in 2021. 
Mm. It's it's certainly good to hear uh, what you call this. Uh, at least, um, you know, if if someone is gonna say something is is good to hear about um, COVID, the fact that there has been that reduction, um, obviously. You know, from an emotional point of view, it is sad the fact that what we're talking about is uh, claims related to, you know, the deaths um, in the what you call this um, in the economy. Um, one of the things I am quite curious about and related to that is um, the claims that are being made here. Um, what proportion of them um, are related to deaths versus, you know, maybe people I don't know, being in hospital or maybe people trying to protect incomes, that type of thing? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. And uh, most people tend to hear the word life insurance and think that it only refers to death cover. That's most certainly not the case. Um, we cover a wide range of benefit death kind of first and foremost, uh, but then things like severe illness cover, uh, if one if a long list of, of kind of dreaded disease were to happen to you, disability cover, uh, income replacement, we've got education protection for, for children. So there's there's a wide range of living benefits as well um, as the, the, the death cover that we've referred to. Um, and yeah, we've certainly seen a, a bit of a shift, um, particularly in the COVID side, um, which I guess, as you say, is, you know, in some respects, good news. Um, but we've seen a shift towards morbidity away from mortality. Um, so a large, a much larger proportion of the COVID claims are now coming through as income replacement claims, disability, severe illness type claims. So people aren't necessarily dying from COVID um, to the, certainly to the same uh, extent as we saw during the, the peak of the pandemic. Uh, death claims for COVID used to be about 50% of all COVID claims, whereas in this reporting period over 20, 2022, death claims were only about 12% um, of, of um, COVID claims. So you can see that big shift towards the, the illness type effects of COVID as opposed to, to mortality. Um, and it's driven an increase in our claim payouts for some of our, our key um, morbidity benefits. So we've certainly seen an increase across severe illness payouts, disability payouts, as well as income replacement payouts relative to, to prior year. So, 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 so that's kind of the landscape that we're, that we're noticing. It certainly sounds like, um, from what you're saying, that COVID-19, you know, where a lot of people, it might seem as if it's in the rear view mirror that we're still squarely with it. Uh, whether you're saying we are still driving on the same road, it's still in the car, whatever words we're going to use, uh, it's certainly here. And one of the things I've always liked about Discovery is that there's usually a ton of data and uh, what you call these calculations that are being made in the background. Um, from your purview, you know, do you how I, I guess we're now looking, you know, uh, past uh, 2023 into, let's say, the next decade, let's say by 2030. Do we expect that the effects of COVID will still be um, be coming through 
you know, with some of the things that you are highlighting now, whether it's severe illness, whether it's, uh, um, I think you mentioned disability and income replacement, that type of thing. Do you expect that we'll still be, you know, seeing some of those effects even a decade on? Uh, or do you see a place at which um, uh, COVID-related claims become so, in, so in, insignificant that they no longer really appear? Um, as a part of the main reporting lines for discovery? Um, Madhu, I think it's a tough question uh, looking <laughs> 10 years ahead. Um, it's obviously yeah. something we're trying to model out, um, but there's a lot of unknowns. I think we are, you know, cautiously optimistic that uh, the current trend will continue, that you kind of tend to see COVID um, dissipating to a fairly low level of endemic um, type of disease, uh, much like you see a flu. We get flu deaths each year. Um, you know, at the moment, COVID's still significantly more deadly than flu um, based on the recent statistics, but hopefully it will kind of uh, continue on that downward trend. Long COVID is something we're still learning about. We're seeing the impacts of it, the second order effects of it um, coming through in the mobility um in the morbidity events so we'll we'll keep watching that closely i don't think it will disappear i think for the foreseeable future it will be with us um uh, but it will be manageable and kind of at that endemic state where it's contributing to some deaths some severe illnesses each year um but certainly at, at very manageable levels um and obviously that's that's kind of given current trend i mean who knows what could happen in terms of future variants and you know the the, the curveballs that that can happen in this place but we are cautiously optimistic that we're we're definitely through the pandemic it's now an, uh, in its endemic state um and something that we'll we'll live with and and we'll manage with some some effects i think the other second order effects that we're seeing uh, from COVID that are playing out very strongly is kind of, you know, the the lockdown type effect and what that started to um, cause in terms of second order effects. So, for example, we saw a dramatic decrease in how people were screening for uh, things like cancer, for health checks. Um, you know, when you were kind of in the, the depths of COVID in 2020, you weren't going into hospitals for anything except emergencies. Um, so clients tended to stop doing their regular screening and preventative care measures. Um, and we're actually seeing that um, start to bubble up. Uh, so we've seen in this uh, in this reporting period a shift towards more um, advanced cancer diagnoses. So we're seeing about a 25% increase in our most severe cancers relative to pre-pandemic levels. Um, and we put that down to some extent to the reduced screening. You know, people would have potentially picked up some of those at an earlier stage had they been screening at previous levels. Um, and that would be obviously very important in terms of their outcome um, and survival probabilities. The earlier that we can detect cancer, um, the it's got an, an absolutely exponential Im um, impact on outcome. So that's certainly something that we're pushing really hard to restore to pre-pandemic levels. We've been very successful as a business at, you know, encouraging our clients to get screened, to go for health checks, to understand and become more aware of their health risks and then address them. 
Um, so that's that's something we're obviously pushing really hard. Discovery Health um, have launched um, an initiative um, to to address this. They call it the Wealth Fund, um, and that really provides um, their members with um, funding for these types of initiatives. So really encouraging uh, members and clients to to get screened, to go for preventative measures, understand their risks, go for health checks. So that's certainly something we've seen. And then I guess another second order effect um, that's come through is in the mental and behavioral space, um, you know, depression, suicide. Um, and these are quite well, um, you know, documented and, and have certainly been been highlighted. But it's a trend that we've actually seen coming pre-COVID. COVID's just accelerated some of it to an extent. So, you know, we've paid out 3.2 billion rand um, over the last 10 years for clients uh, with mental and behavioral disorders across things like suicides, um, depressions, um, clients not being able to to work due to, to depression. So um, that's something that's increased. We've seen suicides are, were um, up 13% um, last year relative to the prior three years and 24% relative to the three years prior prior to that. So you can kind of see this steadily increasing shift in, in suicide payouts, uh, which is obviously very sad um, and, you know, extremely serious and something that we are um, spending a lot of time trying to address and trying to address that kind of um, that mental wellness, um, you know, concern that we have in the, in the country and in our client base. Um, one of the things that's always been interesting about the way that uh, discovery um, has uh, often, you know, positioned itself, it's uh, the health conscious part, um, you know, of, uh, you know, of the company, um, always supporting healthy lifestyles, uh, always supporting um, initiatives towards, you know, healthy eating exercise. Uh, sponsoring, you know, big, you know, exercise, uh, big sporting events that encourage exercise, uh, that type of thing. So that aspect of a healthy life is something that we see um, Discovery projecting across its various business units, whether someone is talking Discovery Life, Discovery Health, um, Vitality, you often see similar messaging coming through, um, you know, from the group, from that point of view. And I think with that in mind, um, you were already alluding to it just now about your encouragement of, um, you know, getting people to screen uh, for all of these, uh, you know, for all of these different issues, because whether we like it or not, the, the, the type of ailments that you are describing, with the exception of COVID-19, um, a lot of them are non-communicable. They are lifestyle, you know, a lot of them are also lifestyle-related uh, diseases, especially uh, things like your heart health and all of that stuff. Um, my question is just about where we started off you know, today's discussion, we, we are, we're talking about it from the premise of um, the health of the individual South African. And if we look at it on a micro level, gives you an idea of the health of the economy because the economy is made up of, you know, 60 million people that are the South Africans that are working in industry, that are going to school, that are, you know, paying for goods and services, you know, on a daily basis. And with everything that you've just mentioned now, including the mental health aspect, it's hard for me not to be pessimistic and say, Ooh, 
so the South Africans are going through a lot uh, on a health level. And I guess it's worth just asking the question uh, from the data. Are South Africans healthy? <laughs> uh, that's, that is obviously a, a, a tricky question. Um, we, we aren't typically that healthy as a, as a nation. Um, and we can do a lot more. Um, I think when you look at the data, um, you know, I mentioned the mental health issues. Uh, we saw SADAG release um, figures of about 5.5 million more South Africans suffer, suffering with depression than pre-COVID. Um, you know, from a uh, kind of overall health perspective, we, you know, obviously seeing increase in claims. Certainly COVID was, was a massive spike, but, you know, even when you strip out that effect, we have seen an increase um, in some of the underlying causes, um, probably due to second order effects of COVID, as I mentioned. Um, so, so there is some cause for concern from a health perspective. I think where we are encouraged um, is that we continue to see the model of changing behavior uh, play out very positively. You know, so this is something we track very closely. As you said, it's core to, to our values. It's, it's our entire business model is around how do, how do we use behavioral economics, nudges, incentives to change people's behavior positively, get them to understand and become more aware of their risks, and then give them the tools to address that and reward them for doing so. Um, and over this period, we saw um, about a 50% reduction in mortality rates for our most engaged clients in our vitality program. So those are clients on the gold and diamond statuses, and they're really taking steps to, you know, to address their health and wellness and to, to kind of be proactive about it. And that's quite remarkable when you kind of hear the number, um, 50% lower mortality. You're halving your mortality rate by taking those steps to address your health. Um, you know, you mentioned non-communicable diseases, um, you know, make up a, a fairly big proportion of death claims, but there are certain claims you can't impact, um, you know, hereditary conditions and that type of thing. So to be able to, to have that type of quantum impact of 50% reduction uh, purely through awareness and behavior change, I think is quite remarkable and I think very encouraging. I think, you know, we can as a nation uh, take the right steps uh, to address this. It's very um, doable uh, to change. Um, and, you know, that's where we're so, uh, you know, kind of bullish about the model that we, that we push um, is really the insurance space I guess, along with governments, are the only places that can actually monetize behavior change. So we're able to take the client's behavior change if they become um, positively engaged and demonstrate uh, health and wellness, we can actually monetize that for them um, and reward them for doing that. Um, so we've paid our clients now over 10 billion rand over the years in our payback benefit, which is kind of the physical manifestation of that shared value model clients really getting money every single day simply for being healthy. Um, so I think those are the types of innovations we need um, as, a, as a country and obviously in, in our business that we're focusing on. Um, you know, a unique example uh, that, that uh, I think is relevant um, is a particular benefit that we've got called our Global Education Protected Benefit. And what it tries to do is 
um, protect parents or you know, parents take it out to protect their children's education if something were to happen to one of the parents. And that's important. I think as parents, you want to know that you kind of can sleep easy at night knowing that if the worst were to happen, your kids are will be educated and that's covered. Um, but what's really, uh, I think, innovative about the product is we use the shared value model in a unique way, whereby we tell parents, be healthy each year, engage in your health and wellness, and we'll fund your child's tertiary education. Um, and sometimes that can be anywhere in the world, depending on the product you've taken out. And that really talks to people's intrinsic motivations. I know as a father, um, you know, if if uh, if I go to gym, if I be healthy, if I take the steps to to uh, improve my health and wellness, that that is funding my two daughters' uh, university education. It really talks to my intrinsic motivations, and it's something that I will I will do. I'll I'll change my behavior. I'll do what I need to do. So, um, I think those are unique ways to address the issues and the trends that we are seeing, but. Certainly, a lot of work to be done, but we're we're hopeful, and we think through through, you know, real hard work and innovation, we can address that. I think maybe a good place for us uh, to end off today's discussion is around, um, you know, this particular point, and maybe taking a bit of a di- uh, a deeper dive into the shared value model uh, that you've just uh, mentioned now, uh, because. As an economist, I often look at a lot of things from uh, from an incentive point of view, right? You look at certain behaviors in an economy. You such you look at you know how certain markets rise, and you know it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. But you just look at the incentives and you say, "But guys, you know what is the incentive for people not to do you know what they are doing right right now? Someone has found their way of making money and they're going for it. What is the incentive for them not to?" do what they're doing or for them to change their behavior and uh, i guess from a behavioral point of view i think it's quite an interesting take you know to literally pay people to be healthier because it drives a lot of uh, what you call this uh, a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of outcomes you know uh, least of which is obviously you have a healthier population and you know discovery gets to reduce the amount of money that is you know being paid out in terms of uh, certain types of claims not all claims uh, because like you said there's certain things that are hereditary there's certain things that you just cannot help but at least if you are able to you know make it, give people that incentive uh, because when it comes to health issues seem to be a very interest we people seem to have a very interesting relationship uh when it comes to their health because your health is not a team sport your health is one of those things that you just have to take care of yourself you cannot outsource your health you can't get a helper to help you with your health you can't get you can get a personal trainer you can do get all of these things but the person who actually has to do the work and implement these things is, you know, um, what you call this is yourself. So in this last part, it's just to get your sense of, because you've given us the fact that um, you guys have paid out as much as you have um, over the last year and also over the last decade. Um, going forward, do you see, you know, this model, you know, continuing, you know, to succeed the way that it has? Does it, um, do you think there's still some room to grow? Or have the people that 
would be incentivized by something like this or have you guys already captured those people are there still more to go and then i guess the last one is because there's always the data-driven element um have we seen similar models you know in other places um you know around the world yeah that's that's a, a great question and something we spend a lot of time understanding um I think you've made the point that unfortunately, good health alone doesn't seem to be a strong enough incentive for most people to actually change behavior. Um, and that's largely because it's not something you see or notice. You don't notice that you're you know, slowly getting unhealthy. The, the effects of it are unseen and, and future dated. Um, so it's something quite intangible and it's often not that easy to change behavior today for an intangible benefit uh, in, you know, in the future, a few years away. Um, and that's why we think um, using behavioral economics, the data, understanding what makes people tick um, and paying them, benevolent bribes, uh, if you will, um, <laughs> is a, a kind of good, is the only way that we've seen to really sustainably change people's behavior. Um, and we've seen that often it's just about creating that habit, you know, getting that right incentive in place to change the bad uh, kind of habits that people are in and, and turn them around into a good routine. Um, so we've seen good success in really sustainably changing people's behavior once you get them uh, to understand the health and, and you reward them for doing so. Um, and, you know, in terms of the model, we're learning more all the time. We know this world that we live in today is completely data-driven, uh, lots of new um, emerging technologies, AI kind of disrupting every industry, you know, and we think that that provides great opportunities uh, for us to take this to the next level, really understand on a personalized individual basis what um, people need to do, what's the most important um, risk intervention that you can do for your particular health. We're all individual, all exposed to different risks. And also on the incentive side, what will push you to change your behavior? Is it your kid's education? Is it a smoothie or a coffee? Um, and, you know, we, we, we really starting to understand that through the data, um, you know, very deeply and uh, investing a lot uh, into the technology to enable that, um, as well as into the, the science behind the model to really understand how it plays out. And for me, it's the most intuitive mix in the world, insurance and wellness um you know is I, I think a kind of obvious um business model to use um it is something that makes sense it works for both stakeholders or all stakeholders in the model um and we're seeing this uh, kind of blow up around the world we know that uh, you know we've got many partners around the world we're in over 40 countries uh five continents um and we've got some of the biggest companies in the world approaching us for our our intellectual property to understand how this shared value model works, how the behavioral science behind vitality works and how they can apply it in their market. And it's being done incredibly successfully around the world. And we think that will certainly continue given the importance of, of you know, health crises uh, that the world is, is dealing with today. Um, we think this is an important step in 
in you know providing a, a solution to some of those challenges all right so that brings us to the end of uh, what has been a very um informative and engaging conversation about uh, the health of ordinary south africans uh, right now um the team of discovery just giving us some insight into uh the 11 billion rand that was paid out in terms of uh, claims uh for uh, 2022 uh, that is discovery life and also just breaking down um what made up those uh, particular claims uh, some of the big ones that uh, that we were talking about uh, that Gareth was highlighting is um, issues uh, such as heart health, issues such as cancer uh, being uh, uh, amongst the leading causes of death um, right now in the country. Uh, but that, um, you know, there's also the signal that um, COVID-related deaths have come down quite significantly. Um, I think he mentioned a stat that... Uh, um, in 2021, um, they were about, uh, I think you said four times higher than they are, you know, at the moment, um, you know, which is a crazy, um, you know, statistic to have. I think right now, uh, if I remember correctly, COVID related, you said 11%. That's correct. 11% in yes. 2021, actually four times higher than even cancer deaths. So then the highest cause of deaths outside of COVID. Um so significantly higher than they than they were now. So I, I guess that signals to us a number of things. Uh, I think the two biggest ones is the fact that when we talk about uh, the fact that we are out of, um, you know, what people consider to be the hard parts of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, that's the proof that people look for to say that, um, you know, when you see deaths coming down by four times, you know, that, you know, that at least gives you some insight that things are dis However, you know, the other side of that same coin is, uh, you know, Gareth just giving us some insight to say that, um, you know, there are still some COVID related deaths, but, um, you know, there are other, uh, I think in economics, we talk about unintended consequences. And right now, you know, all of that is filtering through in terms of, uh, you know, some of the disability payouts, um, income, uh, income replacement payouts um, that they are seeing severe illness um, and all and a lot of that is still you know COVID related and we might continue to see um, the effects of COVID-19 into the foreseeable future. We obviously hope you know, we try to be optimistic and hope that, uh, you know, the, the, the those impacts and those effects uh, will come down, um, you know, over time. But at the moment, you know, COVID-19 is still firmly with us. And yes, it might be gone in the way that we thought about two years ago. Uh, but, you know, some of those um, impacts are still being felt, um, you know, over in 2023. And then uh, the last point, just getting into the general health um, um, of uh, South Africans, I think you know when you're just sitting and listening, and uh, and you hear someone like Gareth just listing all of the different ailments and uh, all of the different conditions that are affecting ordinary South Africans, you do get that sense um, that as a country, people can do a lot more um, to to help themselves when it comes to being um, healthier, because that does lead to a healthier economy. Um, you know, I think that's been the big push. 
um, in today's uh, in today's discussion and literally just uh, unpacking a little bit of Discovery's uh, model. I know that you know they've spent a lot of time um, you know talking about it over the years, but it's always just interesting to hear um, you know the incentives that people put in place uh, to change some of this behavior and uh, Discovery seeing you know, some of those changes on their end and also implementing it not only in South Africa but um, you know seeing uh, some of the same success um, around the world in the various countries that they are operating in because as we said health is not a team sport you kind of have to you know deal with it on your own and uh, you know if someone is going to pay you for it because unfortunately I like what uh, I like what uh, what Gareth said he said it's uh, it's un it's uh, it's unseen and uh, the consequences is uh, is future facing like you're not seeing it today but the results will be seen in future it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when so that's been it that was us we were talking to uh, Garrett Friedlander who is uh, the deputy CEO over at uh, Discovery Life giving us some insight into the health uh, of uh, ordinary South Africans based on the data that uh, has come through from the acclaimed statistics from 2022 Gareth Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Madhuva. Always a pleasure to, to chat to you. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.